good to see you here. Um, you are so lucky that you get me, you got me in October and you get me in November. Man, life is good for you guys. You're welcome. So I am really excited to be here continuing our series called People of Truth. Right? We're in week four. We spent the first two weeks talking about how do we uh, be people of truth in our thinking. Right? That's our, our head. Right? Our thinking, how do we think correctly? We thought, talked about doctrine and how to uh, think like Jesus thought. And then last week, Pastor Cameron was here beginning dealing with how are we people of truth in our actions. And I'm going to be continuing that today. Uh, but I want to open with a question. This question didn't work out very well in first service, so we'll try again. <laughs> so my question is, what made Finn such a bad stormtrooper? You know, we're all asking the question. What made Finn such a bad stormtrooper? And apparently not a lot of people in first service had, had seen the movie, uh, The Force Awakens, but I figure there's more nerds in second service. So, but Finn is a stormtrooper with the First Order, and he is ordered by Kylo Ren and Captain Phasma to go and torch a village because they need some information. And all the good stormtroopers shuttle out of the, the spaceships and they're, they're blowtorching you know, people and, and buildings and stuff. And Finn's like, I'm not into it. I'm not down. I'm not down with what's going on here. I, maybe I don't actually, my heart is not aligning with the first order. And therefore, I don't really want to put into action the things of the first order. Right? And in the same way, slightly, in a similar way, we'll say it like that, in a similar way, as Christ followers, we have been called to perform certain actions. Right? The Lord is never going to tell you to torch a small village in order to get information from an old man. That's not going to happen. But right, he is going to ask you to live life in a certain way. And the reality is that as Christ followers, as apprentices of Jesus, our lives should look different than the lives of people who are not apprentices of Jesus. Okay? Our lives should look different as a Christ follower than people who are not Christ followers. And so what I want to look at today is uh, a ch the first eight verses of a chapter in the book of Micah. Micah, that's a good one. There is a book in the Bible, friends, called Micah. He's one of the minor prophets. And I don't think I've ever actually preached out of a prophet before, but I've been spending a number of months at, at school. I took a class on Isaiah, and I'm in this Old Testament class right now. And so I've been thinking along the lines of the prophets. And when, when I realized, oh, we're talking about right action, this is like what the prophets are for. Right? They are there to call these uh, people, the Israelites, either the northern tribes of Israel or the th southern tribes of Israel, who have broken covenant faithfulness with God, and they have started to serve themselves or put their trust in the nations or do some other things that are opposed to the heart of God or what God has called them to do in the Mosaic Covenant. He sends in the prophets... And the prophets stand up and say, turn or burn, friends. 
no, that's not really, well, kind of, sometimes they do, right? But they're, they're saying like, hey, do you, do you see how God has dealt with the nations, right? Do you see, and when Mike is talking to the southern tribes, he says, do you see what, what God did to the northern tribes of Israel when Assyria came in and conquered them and sent them off into the exile? Don't think that the same thing won't happen to you. Right? Because you have also betrayed your covenant loyalty to God. You've begun serving other gods. You've begun bowing down to idols. You've been, you've, whatever it is. Right? And so the prophets call people back into relationship with God. And so that's what Micah is doing. And we see throughout the book of Micah that the southern tribes of Israel, or the southern tribes of Judah, uh, have done a, a couple of things that have been uh, disappointing to God. How have they broken the covenant? Did I need to turn this on? Yes, I do. Okay, they've done a couple things. First, what we see is that the, the, the Israelites, they have turned worship from an honoring remembrance of what God had done into a meaningless ritual to appease God. They're just going through the motions. Exactly. All right, and the second thing that we see throughout the, the book of Micah is that Israel has been treating people unfairly, practicing oppression, oppression of foreigners, widows, the poor, people that are on the, the margins of society. And so when we look at these two things, do you think think that uh, this could possibly be applicable for us today. Is it possible that somebody out there, maybe even in our own church, or maybe even us, have turned worship from this kind of honoring remembrance of thankfulness to God to just a, an item that we check off of our to-do list? It's possible. Unlikely that it's any of us, but out there somewhere. And is it possible that in 2019 in the United States of America that there is oppression happening? We don't have to keep the television or Facebook on very long, right, to see that, uh, that there is oppression of poor people. There's oppression of black people. There is oppression of migrants that are struggling, right? There's oppression of unborn babies. There is oppression happening all over in our world, and yet sometimes it's really more fun and easier for us just to kind of turn a blind eye to that and go, you know what, I've got stuff going on in my life too. I don't really have time to serve other people. <laughs> but God calls us to live lives of right action. Right? And God cares about what we do because he created us as physical beings. Right? We were not created as perfect spirits that just kind of floated around playing harps, and then there was the fall, and God said, well, to get back at these guys, I'm going to put them in these corrupt, gross, physical bodies. Ha, take that suckers, right? That isn't it at all, right? We were put in perfect 
physical bodies, to live on a perfect physical world, to, to align ourselves with God, to bear witness of him, to rule and subdue, to go out from Eden across the whole world and destroy powers of chaos and bring everything into alignment with Yahweh, everything into alignment with God. From the beginning, what we do matters. And even in the New Covenant, Paul talks about how actions are incredibly important. He says in Romans chapter 6, 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are, no, uh, we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Right? What we do aligns us with certain things. Right? It's not just about what we believe. That is an incredibly important part of our alignment process with God. But it is going to be played out in our actions. And so if we act out in alignment with sin, we make ourselves uh, slaves to sin and death and corruption. But if we practice righteousness, if we practice righteous acts, then we allow ourselves to uh, usher in good things into the world. We step into righteousness, right? We bring forth love and joy and peace into a broken and fallen world. And too often, as American Christians, we think this is just individualistic right? If I sin, then I have to pay the, the repercussions of that, and that's a big deal. Okay, I got to stop sinning. Or if I'm righteous, then I benefit from that. But from a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective, we are in community with one another. And to say that I'm not connected with Dan, or that I'm not connected with Richard or Lori or whoever, this whole ecosystem of the world, right? We are connected with one another as those created in the image of God. When I sin, I usher in sin and brokenness and death into my life, into my spouse, into my family, into my community, into my church, and into the world. And so if you sit up late and look at porn on the, the internet, it's not just this thing that, oh, that's kind of gross and I, I'm hurting myself. No. It's a systemic, broken thing. You hurt yourself and your spouse, and you hurt the, the person that you're sinning against. You're feeding into this system of corruption and oppression that keeps young women enslaved. And we could, use, we could talk about anything. Any sin is going to continue to feed sin and brokenness and corruption into this world. But in the same way, when we align ourselves with Jesus, we bring righteousness and beauty and goodness into our world. So what we do matters. And in the book of Micah, the, the prophet is calling Israel, like I said, the, and when I say Israel or Judah, I mean the southern two tribes of, of, of Judah. But anyway, it doesn't matter. So he's talking to Israel, and Israel has broken the covenant, like I said. They've just started, been going through the motions with their religious, religious uh, 
expectations, right? And they've been oppressing people. They've just been very, very selfish. And things have gotten bad. God has sent warnings. He's sent prophets. He's called people back to righteousness. And nobody's listening. And so he has to call him into court. And being called into court is a big deal. Two weeks ago, uh, my good friends Shelton and Mary Jo adopted these two beautiful little girls, and we went to court to finalize the adoption. And it was a wonderful, beautiful thing that was happening. But you step into the courtroom, and it's still a little bit nerve-wracking, right? Because there's something weighty. There's something serious about being in court. Earlier this year, I was in in court to, to support somebody else for a less good reason, right? And that was way scarier, because we were like, we don't know exactly what is going to happen here but it's going to have very significant repercussions in this person's life. And so God calls the Israelites into court, and they should be worried about that. We're going to see that they have some thoughts on their, of their own. But we're going to start here in chapter 6, verse 1, and Micah stands up and says, Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. So he's calling his people into a lawsuit. He's like, you guys have been messing around too much. You've not been doing what is right, and I don't know what else to do. I'm taking you to court. This is the final straw, and they should be nervous. And so God stands up, and he says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Will you answer me? And apparently Israel stands silent, Because the Lord continues. And he says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted when Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so the Lord asks, how have I hurt you? How have I offended you? What have I done? Why have you rejected me? What did I do to make you think that I'm not for you or that it's okay for you just to wander off and break the covenant? Because don't you remember, I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. And so he's calling them to remember the, the, the ten plagues, right? All the, the stuff, the, the mighty hand of God that was revealed against Egypt and against the Pharaoh. Do you guys remember that you were living in slavery? And I came and fought for you. I, I, I split the Red Sea. I defeated Egypt's army right in front of your eyes. Do you remember that I sent you Moses? I didn't leave you wandering around in the wilderness by yourself. I sent Moses 
and Aaron and Miriam. These are amazing leaders, right? They would have been this, you know, so Micah, maybe this is happening in 700 BC or in that idea, you know, in the we don't know exactly when the, the exodus was, but maybe it was a thousand years before that. I'm not exactly sure. But they've been talking about Moses and Aaron and Miriam. These are the heroes, right? This is, this is the three. This is like the Luke, Han, and Leah of the, the Jewish story, right? These, do you remember who I, I sent to protect you and to lead you through the wilderness? Do you guys remember what Balak the king of Moab did, right? He wanted to curse you, and he even brought the great prophet Balaam in to speak curses against you as you're wandering through Moab. But what happened? I protected you. I protected you. I caused Balaam not to speak curses against you, but to speak blessing over you. Right? And this, what we see here is that God protects and leads and guides his people physically, right? Through the wilderness, through uh, overpowering nations, right? Giving them food and, and, and water and manna and all this stuff. But he also protects them spiritually as he causes Balaam to speak blessing over them. And then he says, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. And this was a city on the east side of uh, the Jordan and a city on the west side of the Jordan, Right? And he's like, do you remember how not only did I bring you through the wilderness, right? and do you remember how you rejected me? Right? And that you, you decided to do things your own way, and you, yeah, you had, there were some consequences. You had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but I was there. I kept you. Your shoes didn't wear out. Your cloak didn't wear out, and I was with you and for you. And then, just like I split the Red Sea, I parted the Jordan River, and you were able to go into the promised land. You were able to enter into this, uh, this place of, of milk and, and honey, of, of goodness, right? You were able to, to drink wine, the grapes that you didn't harvest, right? You were able to, to eat food from, from the, all the, the, the crops that you didn't work on, right? You were able to live in cities that you didn't build, right? I did that. Do you remember? And so there's this very clear call of God to remember his righteous deeds, to remember that he is always faithful, that he is always going to fulfill his side of the covenant, So as we read this, we need to ask ourselves, how are we practicing remembering God's righteous deeds? How are we putting into practice rhythms of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus? Just like uh, Israel was taken out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom in the promised land, right? We, too, were taken out of slavery into freedom. Paul says in Colossians, he says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Don't forget it. Don't forget 
from where he saved you from. Because we were broken. We were corrupt. We were shaking our fist in defiance against God, and yet he set his eye on us and delivered us from slavery into freedom. Sometimes I feel, I don't know if this happens to any other parents or maybe it's just me, but sometimes I feel like my kids don't remember all that I've done for them. <laughs> it feels like they forget, right? They, it's like they don't know that you have to pay electricity bills, right? It's like they, they think that the, the Wi-Fi just springs up out of the ground so that you can play Smash Brothers or Minecraft or whatever it is, right? And, and so... <laughs> And very seldom, let me think, if ever, maybe not ever, they never, nobody ever comes up to me and says, Dad, thank you so much for paying the electricity bill this morning. You know, that makes this such, such a blessing, right? They're just living, of course we have electricity, of course we have Wi-Fi, of course we have groceries in, in, the, in the refrigerator, right? This is a great opportunity for some people in the audience to remember. <laughs> right? And yeah, they, they, maybe, they, maybe they forget, but I did the same thing, right? We all have done the same thing, and we all do the same thing with God. We forget. We get so caught up in our own lives that we just expect grace and forgiveness just to be there. And this acceptance into, you know, the, the, the family of God, that's just, we just start to take it for granted. And when we don't remember from where we've been saved, right, then we start to think that, oh, I've done this. I'm the one that worked 60 hours last week so that we could do this thing, that we could go on this vacation or we can live in this nice house or whatever it is. I am the one that is, you know, pulling and holding my life together. And we start, when we start to forget the grace of God, we forget that every good and perfect gift comes from Him, then we begin to live lives that are selfish and self-centered. Then it's all about us and it's protecting ourselves. Right? And then we begin going through the motions of religiosity because, well, we need to check that box off to please God. Right? Or, you know, I'm going to oppress somebody that's not me because I need to hold on to what is mine. I'm putting my trust in me. And so one of our applications for, for today, we are instructed, we're called to remember, but an easy application of this is turning up for church every Sunday. Like this, we just put this rhythm into our lives because it is a rhythm that helps us to remember. We don't come to church just for the great music, though that's great. We don't come just to hear some Yahoo talk for a half hour. We we don't come... (laughs) Yes, Lord. Uh, We don't come just for the, the great snacks or whatever. We don't come just to see our friends, though all that is great. We come to church on Sunday morning because it is an opportunity for us to remember that we have been redeemed. That we are not the center of the universe. That's what Sunday morning's for. 
And it's not about, oh, I had this great experience today, though we love that. We love having great experiences with Jesus, right? But we don't come and go, oh, it wasn't that great of a Sunday because I didn't get anything. Hey, it's not for you, right? It's for worshiping Jesus and remembering who he is. And so the, the, the Lord, Yahweh, kind of gives this, asks them to remember, do you remember all this stuff I've, I've done? And then the Israelites respond. And uh, they don't respond with this gracious reflection of God's loving kindness. What they say is, with what shall I come before you, Lord, and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before you with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Or shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's like what we see here is the Israelites saying, Jesus, God, what do you want from us? You want more burnt offerings? Will that finally make you happy? How about year-old calves? Because... Year-old calves are more expensive than the normal calves that God asked for in, uh, in the offerings, right? So do you want, you want more expensive things to be offered on, on the altar? All right, what if we give you a thousand rams? Are you finally going to be happy? And then it gets like, okay, how about if I pour out 10,000 rivers of olive oil, 10,000 jugs of oil, will, will we finally appease your demands, God? And then it gets super extreme. Well, well I'll just offer my firstborn. Is it finally going to appease you, God? Are you finally going to be happy? It's as if the Israelites are like, God, we've done everything. What more do you want? We've done everything you've asked. We've given the appropriate offerings at the appropriate times, right? We have gone through all the religious processes in order to keep you blessing us. What more do you want? Come on. They're trying to defend themselves as if they're saying, yeah, God, we've been faithful too. Yeah, thank, thanks for getting us out of Egypt, but we've played our part too. But what this reveals is this fundamental misunderstanding about what God is requiring from his people. Right? These offerings, they're not bribes to get God's blessing. What the offerings are is they're supposed to be this outward sign of this inward attitude of a person's broken and contrite heart. Right? Because recognizing who God is, what can I do but worship you? And in the goodness of God, he gave the Mosaic Covenant, which had some stipulations and regulations. This is how you can worship me. Right? This is, how, this is what is pleasing to me. But the Israelites had forgotten, right? And they like they've turned it into just this moral legalism. Well, I gotta sacrifice this animal, right? And I gotta, you know, give this flower and this oil. And if I check all the boxes, then then I will live in the blessing of the covenant, because I certainly don't want to live in the curses of the covenant. 
and it had just all become a big transaction. God was like, that's not what I'm looking for at all. I'm looking for hearts, hearts that love me and want to truly worship me. And we can do this too. We start just going through the motions. We start acting like church is just this thing that we have to check off so that God won't be mad at us next week, right? Like, I really want that, really want a a raise, so maybe if I turn up to church and I pray every morning, then God will be, man, that guy, look at how great that guy is. I'll give him a raise. That's not how it works. These aren't bribes. Right, when you were younger, did you ever try to make a deal with God? Or is that just me? Right? Like, oh, I didn't study for this test. But, but, but God, if, um, like, if you help me to pass this test, I'm going to read my Bible every week. Or every day this week. Or whatever, right? Or, like, like uh, God, if, if my girlfriend isn't pregnant, I will literally do anything you want. I will move to whatever. Uh, I'll move to Africa. Is that, will that make you happy? And then he's like, okay, check. Great. Thanks, Mark. This is what I've been looking for. You know? Uh, you know he, but that's not how it works. Or are we trying to, to please God with our, with our offerings, with our giving? Right? And, you know, if we were, if God comes at us, maybe we're like, oh, God, what do you want? I've been given 10%. What do you want, 20%? Ugh, come on. You want 25%? You know, I go to church every Sunday, just like you asked. Right? Do you want me to go to church three times a week? Will that finally make you happy? Right? That's not what God's looking for. Right? He's looking for hearts that love him. And so the question that we ask here is, how have we turned religion into some empty ritual? How have we turned our religious practice into bribery in order to get God's favor? And so this is kind of the the second step. The first is we remember, right? We remember what God has done. We remember that he is faithful even when we are not. And the second thing is we have to reflect. All right, God, if you are good, if you are true, right, is my life coming into alignment with that? Am I just going through a, a show, Or am I living out of this revelation of your unfailing love? And so when we look at church, or you look at your Bible reading, or you look at whatever, you know, I only listen to worship music on the way to work and back, or whatever your religious practice is, right, you look and go, all right, well, what's the motivation? Because all those things are good. Going to church, real good. Reading your Bible, real good. Praying, real good. Listening to worship music, Good, right? And so, and so we have to ask, what is the motivation? What, am, am I doing all this because I'm scared if I don't, you know, like, oh, I'm going to lose my job or lose my house or lose whatever it is? Am I doing it out of obligation? Oh, it's just this thing that we have to do, right? I've got to turn up to church every Sunday and I've got to serve in children's ministry, Blech, right? Or is it out of this, this place of, of worry or fear? Whatever it is, right? What's the motivation? And this takes time. It's not, we don't just go, oh, I got to act right. I got to do these things. God expects me to act a, a certain way, so I'm just going to willpower my, my way into it. That's not how it works. 
Like you could probably willpower your way into being pretty good for the rest of the day, probably. That's not going to last long term. And so what God shows us is if we remember who he is and who we are, and as we take the time to reflect on that truth and to see where we are coming into alignment with it and where we are not, where we are living out of fear or worry or shame or doubt, and allow him to deal with it. Because we don't like to do that. We don't like to reflect. We don't like to look at our pain, right? We just want to, you know, get rid of it, whether it's through watching, you know, binge-watching Netflix or scrolling through our phone or drinking or doing drugs or looking at porn or it can be a million different things. It can be good things and bad things. We just don't want to deal with what's going on in our hearts because it's painful and it's scary. But this is the call of God to reflect on how our lives are coming into alignment with his truth. And then we end with our last verse, and the prophet Micah stands up again. And he says, He has shown you, O mortal, he's talking to Israel here, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Right? That what God expects isn't something brand new. It's not something weird. It's not something unexpected. Right? This has been the way of God since the beginning. It's not just about believing in him, but it's about living in a certain way. And what Micah reminds Israel And what I think he's reminding us is that when we come into correct alignment in our thoughts and in our hearts with God, what our lives look like, because as I said in the beginning, the lives of Christ followers will look different than the lives of non-Christ followers. And as Christ followers, when we come into alignment with him, we will live lives of justice. We will live lives of mercy. And we will live lives of humility. And justice speaks of right social relationships. It means looking for people who have been downtrodden, people who have been ostracized, people who have been pushed out of the way, people who are on the wrong end of systems that that keep them in poverty or imprisoned or whatever it is. And we look for those things and we go, oh, that's not kingdom. That's not the way of Jesus. How can I come and make a difference in this system? How can I bring social justice into this world? God cares about that. A lot. Because the truth is, we cannot be right with God and at the same time be taking advantage of somebody else. And sometimes that means active oppression, and sometimes that means turning a blind eye when other people are oppressing. It's important. We have to live lives of justice. We need to live lives of mercy, that love mercy. And the word translated mercy here is this beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. Right? And it means loving kindness. It is a, a covenant word. It is the, the loving kindness that God pours out in his covenant uh, relationship with his people. 
He says, I promise to do my side, to love you and to protect you, to make you my people, to bring blessing upon you. And the expectation of chesed, of mercy, of loving kindness, is that there's reciprocity. I'm going to pour out loving mercy on you and you return it to me. I am going to pour out loving kindness on you and you are going to pour it out on those in your community. And so we have to ask ourselves, where are we practicing mercy? Where are we living lives that that give people the benefit of the doubt? Where are we living lives, right, that, that allows people off the hook, maybe when they don't deserve it? And lastly, we live lives that are humble, this walking humbly with God, it's, it's talking about not being proud, okay? Shocker. Right? So the other translations would be to walk circumspectly or to walk wisely. And the idea is that we don't do things uh, our own way, but we submit our way to the way of Jesus or to the way uh, of the Father. And uh, one commentarian talking about this walking humbly with God, he says that such a walk with God is humble in that it puts a person's will in a secondary position and gives prudent attention to doing his will. Right? It's turning our attention to God and going, man, I would do it this way, God, but instead I will do it your way. And so following God means living a certain way. If you are an apprentice, you are called to live the way of justice and mercy and humility. Because what we do really matters. And so these are our three takeaways today. This is what you should do. Remember. Just remember. It's not hard. Just turn up to church on Sundays. This is actually why pastors and spiritual leaders tell people to, to read their Bibles or to, to pray every day. Not because we get some sort of a, a bonus because we got somebody to actually read their Bible this week. No, it's because we want you to remember who you are, to center yourself in the Father every single day. And then as you are remembering, reflect, am I actually doing this? Where is my ideas not coming into alignment with the way of God? And finally, we replicate it. How do we live this out? Sunday through Saturday, every day. Don't compartmentalize your spiritual life into this little spot, right? But how do we live this out at work and at home, with our spouse, with our kids, everywhere that we go? Amen. Will you stand as I close in prayer? Father God, we love you.